but I thought it'd be good to do a trailer, so an audio trailer and a visual trailer, so that we can kind of like introduce the podcast. So um, we can freestyle it, or we can just work out what what we're each going to say. I mean, it's it's words to the effect of, um, "Hi, Michael Morgan, and this is Chantal Lund. We'll be presenting a regular look at police matters." Now it's because um, me being a social commentator. Um, Twitter Spaces host and habitual line stepper and Chantelle obviously having a wealth of experience with campaigning and civil rights matters uh, and that we think it's kind of incumbent upon ourselves to share not only our views but um, spark conversations which will hopefully involve your views as well so it will be kind of a regular look at all things that we talk about usually on Twitter but in a nicely condensed podcast. That was amazing, Michael. That. <laughs> My little bit is like completely different to yours. Um, so basically, I just think the conversations about the police are the best tool in our arsenal. Posting things to social media, having these conversations, having this content that we can put out there constantly without it being filtered through the lens of mainstream media or filtered by the police is such a powerful tool. Without these conversations, be they on Twitter or on podcasts, we wouldn't have had Christina Dick step down. We wouldn't have had the Met Police put on special measures. And it's because we will not stop talking about how institutionally misogynistic and institutionally racist and institutionally homophobic police are, that they have been forced to take action. But we know that the actions that they've taken are not enough. So until we are in a place where we have a police force that looks like the police force we want it to look like, and we mean by saving our communities, not oppressing them, not terrorising them, then we will continue these conversations and we will continue giving people the knowledge, the conversation starters, anything they need to hold the police to account in. Because they might have put themselves on special measures, but that's literally the first of a the first tiny step of a huge mountain that they have to climb to gain our trust, to gain our respect, to gain our... I'm not even calling them. Like, <laughs> like when it happens to me, shows of someone chopping my head off, I'm not calling them to even gain a telephone call for me to tell them that I'm in trouble before they can get any of that back. You need to do a lot of work um, and we're here to hold them to account and to tell them when they're doing it wrong um, and when they're doing it right, which unfortunately just hasn't happened yet. Hi, Michael Morgan. She is Chantelle Lunt. What's going on, Chantelle? Hey, Michael. I'm good. I'm, I'm as hot as I can go. How are you? I'm um, I'm reeling from the fact that uh, it's been two days now since I had my uh, my death threat online. Um, one of the uh, Thin Blue Line uh, has actually threatened to deep six me. I'd never heard of this deep six before mm. now. And um, it's been two days since that and I'm still alive. So um. I'm recording this with a sense of trepidation. And um, I guess it's time that we actually welcome people to the show. It is why I'm no longer talking to institutionally racist police with myself, Michael Morgan, and the irrepressible Chantelle Lunt. So I think we better crack on, really. What have we got on the agenda this week? So this will be our regular roundup of police matters that we talk about on Twitter spaces usually but in podcast format. So people will find this on all your regular podcast platforms. It'll be on Apple, I was about to say iTunes. It will be on Apple Podcasts. It will be on Spotify. It will be on Google Play, wherever you can find your podcast host. Usually we will be on. And uh, as I say, it's our regular look at um, Police Matters. And on the docket this week, we are going to be um, alternating between each subject. First up, I wouldn't mind going with the police being placed under special measures. And we're talking about, in this particular case, the Met Police. Now, you did an exceptional job of actually breaking this down in a recent article 
on WoTV, uh, WoTV.com, uh, big cheeky plug there. If you've not come across WoTV.com, it's available, obviously, as the name would suggest, at WoTV.com. But you actually term this, can the Met Police sink any lower? And it was your, I would say, unabridged. It was your straight no chaser. It was your no frills. And um, I suppose just cutting straight to the chase about the Met Police being put under special measures. And it's not just the Met Police. I'm going to hand over to you because you can obviously break down your article um, more than I could. But what I really want to do is to flesh this out into, well, why are the Met Police under special measures? And um, who are the others who are also um, under the gaze of, well, call them training wheels. Over to you. (laughs) Under the gaze of training wheels. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I... Honestly, a lot of people got in touch with me, as I'm sure they did yourself, Michael, to say that the Met have been put into um, special measures. And and I think, I don't know, I don't know if I'm just one of those people, you know, one of those mood killers when people contact me like, oh, the Met, the Met have been put into special measures. Like, hooray. I was a bit like, I'm, I'm what, you know? I am. So for those who don't know, and I'm sure everyone does, the Met have been put into special measures. It's basically... They've got to report to other forces more often. They'll be placed under increased scrutiny and they'll be given um, bigger targets and more targets that they've got to achieve. So they're going to be watched a lot more. um, And it's not just the method under special measures. Greater Manchester Police, Cleveland, Gloucestershire, Staffordshire and Wiltshire are all under special measures. So there's a few forces. um, And... And yet it basically just means they're under increased scrutiny. They have to report to other, they'll have other forces looking in on them and kind of trying to ensure that they improve. And, and the widely held belief is that this has happened because of um, incidents like Sarah Everard, incidents like Beaver Henry and Nicole Smallman, you know, the institutionalised misogyny, the institutionalised racism, and just the, the relentless scrutiny that the Met have been under from both the media and the public for the past two years. So, so that's what's happened. And my kind of response was, well, what, what else were they going to do? You know, we, we, at the time, we didn't have a new um, chief commissioner at the Met. And it's like, we haven't got a chief commissioner. They've got to do something. And so the new um, chief of constabulary, uh, Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary, has come in and kind of put them under special measures, which obviously grabbed a lot of headlines. Everyone is sort of thinking something's going to be done, but as someone who likes to scratch beneath the surface, my question remains, what happens if they don't improve? And no one seems to be able to answer that question, Michael, because nothing happens if the police don't get better. They still carry on doing what they do. And the Met have actually joined five other UK police services, Greater Manchester, Cleveland, uh, Gloucestershire, Staffordshire and Wiltshire. So they're not alone. My thing is this, I don't think they will be the only, I mean, there's what, six of them now under special measures. They won't be the only uh, police service that's under increased scrutiny. And the thing that really riles me about this is, why is this happening now? How come we have got this far, hobbled along? We've basically been kind of like, almost like a, like a dog that's just hop, hobbling along and waiting to be put down. Why now? That's just the baffling thing. I feel there is a bigger report to come. I feel there are bigger and more damning, um, uh, I suppose, revelations are coming down the pipe. And I think we are a matter of days away from finding out what those are. Yeah, I don't know if you saw it in the news today, actually, just to segue, but... um... Oh, what is the area called? Telford. So Telford, there's been a new report released that um, a number, a high number of young girls have been sexually exploited and apparently the police haven't done something. It's, it's eerily similar to the um, Shropshire is, I believe. It's eerily similar to the um, scandal that happened a few years ago with um, West Yorkshire Police, I believe. So I'm oh. not sure if that is the scandal, but it doesn't. it's not as big as the other ones that are breaking at the moment. So I don't think that might be it, but... I, I agree with you, Michael. I was very much, well, what, what are we about to find out if you're showing us that you're finally doing something about all these issues in the force? You're clearly preparing for something so you can say, but look, we've put ourselves on special measures. Um, aren't we good? 
because that kind of like neatly segues. I suppose this is kind of like a two-parter, but you've mentioned him, or you you actually haven't. Um, Mark Rowley is now the uh, new Met commissioner. He who shall not be named has been named as... After an all-white panel, I have to say, and there does seem to be a little bit of um, discontent when you look across campaigners who don't feel as though they've been part of the decision-making process. I did um, a chat, brief chat with The Independent, and this is a widely held feeling that, again, we're being disenfranchised. Again, we haven't been invited to the table. Again, we are basically being strong-armed into what effectively um, has and will have ramifications for us. Now, for me, okay, his number one priority obviously is gonna be crime. It's gonna be getting crime in terms of numbers down. And um, I, I think that's all very well and good, but he's coming in to, almost a shopping list of things which will serve as a distraction because that's what people are focused on. We're focused on the racism. We're focused on the misogyny. We're focused on the homophobia. We're focused on the sexism. We're focused on these online flipping troll stroke police accounts that are issuing death threats. I mean, I go back to that. This is supposedly serving officers, endorsing tweets, not saying anything. And as far as I'm concerned, if you see a tweet, you are complicit if you say nothing about it as a serving officer. And especially if you later go to quote tweet that person um, who actually tweeted that. It, It strikes me as odd that we're in a situation now where you have serving police officers who are endorsing this type of behavior. But anyway, you have basically this shopping list, which, you know, Rowley's going to have to have to contend with. I mean, what, what is going to be his priority? How does he operate any kind of triage? Yeah, I was reading the article that you mentioned, Michael, in, and it was, it was interesting because it said that he failed to even mention race or women in his appointment speech. So once he got the role and kind of laid out in his speech what he was going to do, women and race weren't even on the agenda, which, you know, was really surprising considering he's a white male. Um, I really thought he was going to have it in his, in his line of sight. Um, but, what you know, as you say, it, it was an all-white shortlist. It was mainly men who were the front runners, And it's no surprise that the two men with the most power in policing at the moment are white males and I kind of just think as that article alluded to we're going to get more of the same and it's a lot of tone deaf running into the issue issuing special measures to forces without any interactions with black campaigners black groups women's groups they just feel like they know what the problem is and they can fix it as, as they've been fixing it for the past 30 years horrendously and um, so no I'd, I'm, I'm not inspired by the appointments of this new guy there was a little quote in there with him as well wasn't there I think you've mentioned it in the article did you go on the record as saying that um diverse communities have failed to integrate and that was the reason in why they were adversely affected which is the worst type of victim blaming that i've ever come across and misjudged as well considering he's been saying quite um i suppose setting out his stall to say you know that will be a priority to him but he's hoisted by his own petard he's hoisted by his own words and he's hoisted by his own history and i can only look at what people say initially I think it was Oprah Winfrey who said it. Um, if I say something, believe me the first time. Mm. And if that is the flavor of what he said in the past, I can well believe that's what we're going to see in the future. Yeah, it's worrying, isn't it? You know, the whole hey, victim blaming for hate crime because we haven't integrated and then sort of wanting to draw those distinctions between Islamophobia and racism. It's It's similar to you know, Andy Cook and some of the things he's been coming out and saying, nothing about the new lineup. It's a bit like, you know, the, the incoming prime minister, nothing about these new lineups. <laughs> me with hope. It's just like, okay, more of the same. Um, and we do not need more of the same at this moment. Mm. Okay. Well, I suppose I've rolled two into one. That's what I wanted to bring to the table first up. What you bring to the table 
this week? Well, the first one, and I've name-dropped him so many times, he's going to be really flattered if he does listen to this, um, Andy <laughs> Cook. So he's he's the relatively new Chief Inspector of Her Majesty's Inspector of Constabulary. So he came into the role around March um, that last this year, this year, March this year, um, and and he made a, a lot of big statements about him um, wanting to be tough on crime because you know they're not being tough enough and not wanting to be woke. He's doing a war on woke again. He just like wants to grab headlines. When would the police ever woke? Like someone tell me <laughs> <laughs> they were never woke. So who are you having a war with? Um, but within these headline grabbers, it is actually quite worrying. You know, he says he wants to move away from PR, kissing babies on the heads, and he wants to go back to kicking down doors and the real police work. So, yeah, I, I used to work for Andy Cook, so I used to be a police officer under Andy Cook, and he was the chief constable in my force, so it wasn't like I was walking in every day, like, hi, boss, but, you know, you did have your daily bulletins, you did see him quite often, and he was a dress yet, and he's a really old-fashioned type of officer, so he likes old-school policing, he kind of likes that, likes the really addressing crime rather than social issues, which, while I agree with to an extent, only works if we have a proper structure addressing the social issues. So you can't kind of divert the police's attention away from social issues when we have no infrastructure to address them. Um, and he's not laying out any plans to do so. So when he said he wants officers kicking down doors, I wasn't surprised at all because that's something he was notorious for in Liverpool. Um, and, he, and he absolutely alienates a number Pause of there. Yeah. Well, Pause there. Pause there. You've just reminded me of something. As soon as you said notorious, notorious. does this not actually ring with kicking the door, waving the 4-4? Notorious. <laughs> you remember that lyric from Notorious B.I.G.? Kicking no. the door, waving the 4-4? Yeah, Notorious B.I.G. Anyway. I'm I, saying I, that I, Andy really Cox took a, a leaf out of Notorious B.I.G.'s book. He's just <laughs> listening to that track like, when I get into power, this is going to be... I'm going to kick in the door and wave the 4-4. Four four. <laughs> he does. He loves it. He loves all of that. Um, so it's unsurprising. But equally, he, in, within those statements that he was making, he was saying things like he didn't... He wanted to not be the fourth police and not pay as much attention to politics with a small P, which is like the activism. And people alluded in a lot of the articles I read that when he was saying not being the four police was kind of indicating that the police aren't going to be policing spaces like Twitter as much policing, you know, things he's basically saying thoughts are crimes, actions are crimes, but we well know in relation to racism and most hate crimes, those thoughts, as you've spoken yourself, Michael, those tweets, those hateful messages yeah. often motivate either the person tweeting or others to go out and commit violent crimes. So mm. if we're not taking cyber crime, which is like one of the highest growing crime seriously and when I say cyber crime I mean cyber hate and harassment and everything that's happening in an online forum then that's just going to be the fuel that feeds hate crime the communities feel and I don't think it's a good perspective to have of well I'm just going to wait until you get your head kicked in but I'm not going to do anything about all of the abusive death threats that you were getting prior to that do you know what I mean so the fact that the police senior rank and police officers are actively ignored and other officers making death threats to you Michael might come as no surprise because I'm sure I mean if you were a police officer at the moment would you be worried Michael that like your time's up as a racist 150% no as we're going to go on to in another uh, item which we're going to bring to the table this week it, it would seem as though you know there is almost a kind of um, a wink and a nod when it comes to what is going on here and what um, online police can say and what they can do. It's almost as though, one, they're supportive of each other. Two, there seems to be an online or a, a, some kind of group, whether it be WhatsApp, whether it be Telegram, where they all convene and they say, okay, it's time to go. We're going to support each other on this tweet. And it does seem to be an orchestrated campaign. So no, I wouldn't be worried in the slightest. I would feel as though this is business as usual, as though I'm being supported and my comrades are there for me because that is the way it's been for the last few years. And that is the way that it's going to continue to be because you've hit the nail on the head in terms of priorities, in terms of what is going to be um, the main focus. It isn't dealing with something which is almost a sewer that police are involved with, and that is online hate. 
online um, misogyny, online sexism, online racism. They're not interested in that. They want almost as though it's kind of like um, reinforcing that stupid advert where they put out, it was the Met Police, put out, um, oh, this is what it's like being a police um, or be, be, being, a, being in the police. Now, for me, this whole glitz and glamour, Bodian Doyle, um, this is kind of like, what is it, line of duty uh, approach to this advert reinforces in people's minds, oh, this is what it's like in the police. It's going to be really sexy. You're going to really be doing some interesting stuff here. Kicking indoors, waving the 4-4, is it? Yeah. And I think part of what he said was also an advert because we know this police are struggling to recruit. They can't, you know, they can't get that 20,000 extra officers because nobody wants to work for them. And that's because... A lot of people know now that police work isn't kicking down doors. A lot of it is boring paperwork. It's standing on blinking crime scenes. And if you're someone like me, it's working out in the community, which you should love as a police officer. But a lot of officers did not sign up to work in the community, which is why they're so resentful and baiting when they do go into communities because they want to turn it into something that gives them that kind of adrenaline rush and gives them the action that they signed up for. So I think that in saying that getting policemen back to kicking down doors, it wasn't just a kind of a wink and a nod to his mate his anonymous police account it was also an advert to anyone who wants to join the force that we're going to go back to doing all that cool stuff that you see on tv which is really problematic um, on many levels but the fact is like you say i doubt any offer what we want is with the announcement of these two new officers of senior ranks we should be thinking that officers at a kind of gram level, your constables, all these ones in the racist WhatsApp groups are terrified that their time is up. But I actually think the opposite. I actually think they're like, oh, we're safe. <laughs> we're safe for another five years. <laughs> you know, yes. that article said 90% of officers who were disciplined for racism kept the jobs. Mm. Where's the deterrent? I see no deterrent. That's what I'm saying. It's almost as though... Boys, it's business as usual. We'll just do some window dressing. We'll just do some uh, arrangement of the chairs of the Titanic. And um, even though this sink, this is a sinking ship, uh, we're good for a good few years. And speaking of which, I know this isn't on the docket, but I, I think this is a really good segue, a really good opportunity to kind of like highlight the work being done by way of an alternative. And that is, you know, Operation Withdrawal Consent. This is something which you spearheaded. This is something which you've been driven to spearhead. And I I think, you know, now is the time really to kind of like give that a plug as to where you are with that and uh, what there is on the horizon by way of withdrawing consent. Definitely. So we're campaigning relentlessly on social media and trying to kind of, we're essentially trying to raise the profile of a new idea of policing and challenge people's thinking of is this the police model that we have to have? Because essentially it isn't. The police are a social experiment. The Met police are less than 200 years old and they are a failing social experiment. The last statistics that we got through showed that the number of solved crimes has dropped from 7% to 5.8%. That's how many crimes the police are solving. But we also know that 80% of the issues that the police go out to are not criminal issues, the social issues. And our rallying cry is, why are we putting all of the funds in in the part of the people who respond to social issues the worst? And why aren't we putting that funds in back into community resources and also into building up community resources that have gone under whilst they've been chronically underfunded for the past 10 years? So it's a really simple notion. It's stop sending the police out to incidents that they are massively incompetent unskilled unable to respond to that they they cannot respond to mental health they cannot respond to children's services needs they shouldn't be going into schools they shouldn't be in the community responding to social needs issues that should be under the realm of experts but unfortunately the police have been given all of the funding and all the authority to do that and another worrying thing just to bring it back to Andy Cook like everyone has to come back to Andy <laughs> is in Andy's speech when he joined you know when he took up the role one of the key aims that he set out was to get more police in schools 
And I honestly, at this point, just thought he was gaslighting the black community because I was just like, how can you come out and say something like that? At a child time when, because of child Q, the black community is literally screaming, we want these police out of our schools. And he's like, I know what we need, more police in schools. So tone deaf doesn't even begin to cover what that is. But we don't want police in schools. We don't need police in schools. And all of these issues that we're experiencing are not because suddenly society is changing. Everyone's decided to be a criminal. It's because society has been abandoned at a working class level. Infrastructure, youth centres, all of those things that keep people taken over and divert them out of a criminal pathway have been destroyed over the past 10 to 11 years under a Tory government. And then when the inevitable happens and crime rates go up, they fund the police to go in and kick heads in and kick down doors and do nothing to stop the deeper rooted issues. And what we're saying is that funding needs to go back into services, which are proven to stop those deeper rooted issues. Um, So yeah, we're campaigning online. We're trying to get people to support us, to give their stories of why they want to withdraw consent. And we're trying trying actively to get a petition randomly the government don't seem to want to allow our petition through that suggests that we should and this is the thing in again to go back to your article this um new chief, police chief um for the met um saint mark Rowley has actually said oh we want to get back to policing by consent so there's an acknowledgement that we're not at policing by consent but there's been no referendum we've not actually asked the public if they want to be you know if they are being policed by consent it's just something yeah. that everyone knows and we really want to put it to the public and we really want an active consultation on what do we want our police service to look like because we're tired of these white men on 200k salaries coming in and telling us what we need without actually doing any kind of dialogue with people it's mm. it's rude it's tone deaf and it's gaslighting at best and i just think this is something that because have got away with in the 80s but we're in the 2020s and how are they even thinking that they can get away with speaking for our communities without actually speaking to us? Um, so, yeah, we're, we're continuing to raise our profile. We're continuing to try and get the message out there. And something that shocked me, Michael, is I thought that this would be something that was quite radical. And, you know, a lot of people, if you say, oh, we need to we need to refund communities, we need to take funds from the police, are like, oh, you know, you're an extremist. People mm. are that annoyed that I'm having these conversations and I mean this respectfully, in very white middle class areas, and they're like, yes, the police have gone too far. And I'm like, if I can go to middle, I can go to Oxfordshire and have people agreeing with me that we need to, you know, we need to reform the police. We need to change the structure that the police are just a lord unto themselves. Then actually, maybe we need to, we need to have been there like last year. This is ridiculous. If, if usually you can kind of gauge where you're at by having these conversations in spaces, you know, outside if you bubble outside of your echo chamber. So I regularly will talk about Operation Withdraw Consent with people who I know might not be sympathetic to the cause and might not really want to hear that. And I've yet to come across anyone who's disagreed with me and gone, oh, no, the police is doing a really good job. Let's keep the police structure as it is. Everyone's ready for change. It's really interesting you say that, because when we've held the Twitter spaces, um, there has been no dissent. There has been no pushback. There's been no um, outright kind of like condemnation. Oh, what you're doing here is wrong. And I like to think that the Twitter spaces aren't an echo chamber. I've opened it up to serving officers um, past uh, or people who are no longer serving in the police to actually come in and even, you know, add a contribution. And that has never been taken up. And the people who have been in there have been 100% for it. I've not had one dissenting voice. I mean, you've been in the same spaces and you would know this. It's not just for our community this is going to benefit. I think this is going to benefit us um, community-wide. And we're talking, you know, beyond the Black community because we will get something which is fit for purpose. And speaking of communities, this is what uh, is also on the docket this week in order to flesh this out and talk about this as a subject. And that is our community, our Black community, is the police service a place for them? And what kind of inspired this as a subject um, today, and that is uh, it being um, Tuesday today, um, what actually um, made me pause for thought and kind of like take a take a real intake of breath was PC Idonomic um, L4 
he says that the Met Police is attracting too many racist recruit. Now, as I'm actually butchering this man's name, let's try again. PC Idomnik Iliofor. There we go. He says that the Met Police is attracting too many racist recruits. Now, this, this is a black man, as the, 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 the name might have suggested. This is a black man within the Met Police. He says that it's attracting poorly qualified, biased recruits. And because of its poor salaries, um, them being too low, um, we're getting the wrong type of police. Now, this is an officer, Dominic, uh, uh, sorry, Iafator. Let's get that out there, right. Dominic Ifitor, an officer in the Parliamentary and Diplomatic Protection Command, has said that the service is struggling to tackle racism and it's attracting a high, well, it's not attracting uh, high quality recruits. Now, when I actually tweeted this out, a good friend of mine, and okay, I know this is a little bit of an echo chamber, of course he would say this, um, Lippy Lickshot, he's, um, he's put it this way, not backwards and coming forward. He, he commented, and it was a very, very simplistic tweet, which came traction quickly. Well, if that is how you feel, you idiot, leave. And it made me think, he might have a point. Is the police service the place for black recruits? And I throw this oh. open to you as somebody who's actually um, served within the police. Um, you tell me. Absolutely not. Categorically not. No, not once, not never, not ever. Um, don't join the police. It is the pl- and I feel it's, you know, this is the whole thing because a lot of people like to learn things for themselves. But I honestly know when I joined the police, had someone who'd been in the police force or someone with knowledge come up to me and gone, do not join this force. I've been there, I've got this evidence, they are completely racist, don't do it. I wouldn't have joined. But I didn't have access to all the information I had now. Unfortunately, I learned it the hard way by being bullied and racially abused within the police force. And while I was off sick doing the research and going, what have I joined? Like realising while you're in a cold. Pause right there. Stafford Scott raised this last week when we did our Twitter space. And it was, I have to say, it was a really valid question. And that is, look, you knew what the culture was going in you knew exactly what you were subjected to or your community was being subjected to before you joined it, but you still joined it. What was the motivating factor, given that you knew the shortfalls, given that you knew the institutional racism that is rife within the police service, why did you take up the mantle? So to pause and rewind, I would actually contest that I knew that they were institutionally racist. I knew that they were past tense. I was very privileged in that I spent 12 years in a bit of a bubble where I work. So although I worked in Anfield, which is a predominantly white area of Liverpool, this is in my previous job um, working for like children's services in Liverpool for the council. I kind of didn't see very much racism. And I saw a lot of black officers when I was doing my job because you often work with the police. And, I, and every time I saw them, I thought, this things must be changing. Do you know what I mean? These officers seem happy and nice. <laughs> things must be changing. Add to that. The Blinken propaganda campaign that the police is why I like to do a counter campaign. The propaganda campaign that the police do with all these black and brown faces saying, I love my job. I'm a police officer. And I'm so happy. I was like, it must have changed. The police mustn't be racist. Literally, the second you get in the police force, you do realize that's a complete lie and that as racist as ever. Um, and something that made me laugh was while I was in the police force, I like four or five weeks in. The people who I joined with, who were trainee officers, they were taking pictures of them. And weeks later, those trainee officers, the pictures were on bus stops. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so the campaign was literally as new as we were in the force. So these weren't officers who were old and service. But so I joined quite naively thinking that the issues of the 90s and the 80s weren't quite there. And then when I joined, I was like, okay, this is an awfully racist force. But for me, it's like that whole superhero complex. So I grew up in Cairn. I had quite an, um, not a troubled childhood, but I had a childhood where the police weren't very nice to me, although I'd never break the law as a child. And I always really wanted to change things when I, when I was old enough to be like, if I ever got into a position where I'd be in the police, I want to be that person who's helping kids in care because the worst interactions the kids in care have are often with the police and with professionals like health professionals and social workers and I was like I want to not be that kind of professional and like it can scar you for life 
And and that was something which I did and I was able to do around the kids who came across and care. But in terms of racism, thinking that, and again, what kinds of a burden are we get putting on black officers? Like I never went into the police force with any intention of fighting racism because as I said, I was in a privileged position. I was like, we've, we've won, we've solved it. I didn't even think it was going to be an issue. It was the last thing in my mind. And then when mm. I got in, it was like this bubble burst and I realized just how racist society was. It was like, it was racism that I hadn't been exposed to since I was a kid in the 90s, like, in he- and he- well, give me a dress away, but on the outskirts of Liverpool, it was, like, real, real racism. And I, I didn't think that racism still existed because I hadn't seen it that much in my adult life. And I was like, oh, my God. But for anyone wanting to join, it's just, it's a fool's errand. Someone has got to want to change for you to be able to change them. And at the end of the day, it's a bit like, you know, this this conservative leadership race. It's so interesting because we've probably got the most diverse leadership race in politics that we've ever seen. And yet mm. not one black or brown person celebrating. We're all like, <laughs> like the, they're the same. They're just Tories. Do you know what I mean? They're going to cause the same level of harm. So no one's celebrating. And it's a bit like that in the police. You can be black and brown, but you're still wearing the uniform. And quite often officers internalise those racist structures and become part of the problem. When I was on LBC recently, there was a gentleman who came on and basically said some of the worst interactions he'd had with police officers were police officers who had the same skin colour, black officers, because he felt like they had to prove themselves to the other white officers. So the danger is they get more out of the agreement than you do. So you join initially with that intention of, you know, whether it be helping your community, helping young people, doing something good. And they just need you to make them look less racist. They're not going to fix any of their behaviours. Eventually, you realise that you get worn down and then all you're doing is perpetrating those behaviours while simultaneously making that force look diverse and less racist. So they get more out of the agreement than you. And as a community, it's so much harder for us to point out the racism and the institutional injustice when they have brainwashed black officers into going on Twitter and fighting with us and saying that they're not racist. It makes it 10 times harder. And it's just like... Don't join. No good can come from joining. I mean, again, Michael, I might be biased because I don't like the police, but can you name one example of a black police officer or a brown, you know, see a person of colour within the police force who has done something notable for diverse communities? Not one person comes to mind. And, you know, I, I, I see where you're going with this and I, I hear, you know, what um, your sentiments are, but it just reminds me that this is a story which has got legs. This is a story which I think uh, needs to be told. And if those officers who are Black within the, uh, the, the, the service want to tell their story, now is the time. I'm hearing rumblings within the police service up and down the country. Now, this isn't just London-centric. This is across the UK that black officers are disproportionately being targeted for disciplinaries. They're more than likely to be scrutinized. They're more than likely to have um, ongoing supervision meetings because of quote unquote, poor performance. Now, are they being unduly targeted? Are they being discriminated against? But this just seems to be thematic. This seems to be a cyclical subject that comes up time and time again. Now, in all honesty, I haven't got a problem with police. I have a problem with racist police. I have a problem with misogynistic police. I have a problem with sexist police. I have a problem with homophobic police. So when I get DMs from officers saying that this is an issue and it isn't just London centric, I can't help but feel that there is going to be an explosive story anytime soon because it's almost as though it's a pressure cooker it's, it's a story which has been told up and down the country, just needs for those officers probably listening now to say, you know what, I feel suitably inspired. I'm going to reach out to a journalist or somebody who has journalist contacts. <clears throat> um, and I feel that that story, um, we're talking days away. No, yeah, days away from being told if they can muster the courage I know you're listening. 
um, to actually come forward and tell your story. I really because you're not alone. I hope they do. And it, it is, it's it's a it's not a good club to be in, officers who've been through that, but you're absolutely right, Michael, in what you were saying. Um, if you ever read, I don't know if you've read Kevin Maxwell's book Forced Out, but it's a I really, haven't. it's a really good book. He was worked in Greater Manchester Police and he had um homophobic and racist abuse, but he really spoke to this kind of forcing officers out through a performance pathway. Yeah. So usually if you're an officer, and this was something I was so paranoid about when I raised my complaints because I knew what they did and I was like, I can't put a foot wrong because if they can get me out through a performance pathway, they will. So if you start making ructions or you're not playing ball or not being one of the, you know, one of those officers who looks the other way for racism, you don't fit in the police force. And if they think you're going to be an issue, they try to get you out through a performance pathway saying that you're not performing. And it's not that black officers can't don't perform or don't do the jobs well. But a lot of your police, your policing kind of, you know, your progression within the force is down to white officers who are above you. So even for me, as an officer, to get to the stage of being able to patrol out on my own, I needed another officer to sign me up, to sign me off. And he was one of the worst bullies towards me. And when I put a complaint in about him, his response was to say my performance was off and to hold me back by five weeks. At which point, and again, you know, I was lucky there was a black officer who I'd gone to through the Black Police Association who intervened. She put me with another officer and he literally was like, within a week, he went, I don't know why this officer's done this. He said, like, you can see from the face, like being out with you for an hour that you're absolutely fine. He was going, why has he done this? But even when I was saying to him, because he was being racist towards me, he wouldn't believe that bit. So he was like, he could say that I was fine. He could say that this was a personal issue. And he was like, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? And I was like, well, not if you look at it, you know, not if you actually can see it, see it for what it is. <laughs> mm. um, so yeah, thankfully the next officer that I went with absolutely disputed that. But in order for me to be believed, I had to get through the hurdle of showing them that I was a capable police officer. And, you know, and that even that process of having your performance brought into dispute, that makes you question yourself in ways that, you know, you're absolutely, you're thinking, can I do it? Is it me? Is it them? And it, it, it kind of gaslights you to the point that you might be thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't put this in, put this complaint through, which is kind of why I stayed in the police until the end of my training, because I'm that bloody <laughs> stubborn that I was like, I'm going to pass every single thing that you throw at me before, even though I know I want to leave, I'm going to mm. pass everything and leave with a glowing record just so you know that I could do it. So well, I only left at the point that he said, right, you're in. This is where you're going. You've got an amazing rapport. This is brilliant. And even I left at the point that they were willing to pay for me degree and me progression into other roles because I was like, that is my mic drop, showing that, right, you hold me back for five weeks and watch me fly and then leave. And when they were offering me everything, I was like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> I just wanted to show you that I could do it. <laughs> Oh, good for you. So what you bringing to the table as the last and closing item for this week's show? So I wanted to talk again, we've kind of, we've touched on this, but there was a report that's come out, you know, there's, there's a report every week on the police, but it's basically, it's a very, it's, it's worrying if you didn't know the police were racist, newsflash, the police are racist, um, but it's worrying in general. It's basically saying that there's a massive far right presence within police forces across Europe. Um, there was a recent study done which showed that around 90% of the French police force, like the Guard, I can't pronounce it, but like the Garda, um, would vote for the far right parties. Um, and also it was centred around um, these toxic police WhatsApp groups that we often discuss, saying that in the UK there's a lot of rising officers sharing um, racist far right memes, sharing far right content. Even when, again, in my report in the police force, one of the things that I cited was one of the officers sharing Tommy Robinson posts. Nothing was done. Mm -hmm. For me to say they know about this already is an understatement, but I kind of, you know, people who say the police have been infiltrated by the far right, I'd say we need to flip that on its head. They are, the, a lot of them are the far right. It's kind of, <laughs> they usually get infiltrated by good officers who are like, hey, and they're like, what the hell am I? Um, so it's like that Spider-Man meme with the police and the far right pointing at each other like, who's here, who's here? And, I kind of worryingly referred to it as that moment, you know, if you are a Harry Potter fan 
where the Death Eaters at one time weren't really telling anyone they were Death Eaters. You know, they'd only tell people who knew. But then when Voldemort got into power, they just took the hoods off and were like, here we are. Here we are. That's where we are with the police. They're not even bothered. You know, and you'd only have to look at Twitter at our account if there was anonymous cop accounts. They're not hiding it anymore. Which, I mean, kind of like neatly segues into them having formed. Do you remember a couple of years ago, it was uh, April 2001, Benjamin Hannon, he was a Met PC. He was part of a neo-Nazi group. And okay, he got jailed. Okay, he got found out. But it shows that they do have form. It shows that this isn't um, something which is uh, a figment of our imaginations. I'm not sure if you notice, this does seem to be a recurring theme with the police. They try and make you feel as though you're making things up. It's yeah. a figment of your imagination. They are the chief gaslighters. I mean, even more so than the government because they're doing it um, with such gusto and they're doing it unchallenged as well. But this whole neo-Nazi um, infiltration doesn't surprise me in the slightest because, as I say, with um, Benjamin Hannon um, having been captured, having been uh, banged to rights, having been banged up, it does make me feel, I guarantee you, there are others who are basically hiding in plain sight. It's not as though they're kind of like, you know, making any sort of like discreet motions. You only have to look, as you said before, look online and just read people's tweets read what people are saying and it just makes me feel okay when is this going to be challenged it's not and this is the thing when we look at recruitment all those people saying oh they're recruiting the wrong people there have been a lot of studies done to show that basically officers are more likely to be recruited if they show bullying and narcissistic tendencies that senior officers see in themselves (laughs) so they're just recruiting mirror images of themselves so it's like this circle going around again and again and again at the same kinds of officers um but it is it is worrying you know and we know that the far right in general are growing in europe and it's not something that we should take lightly or ignore so it is worrying when we have I mean, I my eyes were wide open to it when I went to um, Stoke, Stoke on Trent. I went to a BLM protest about two years ago. And and I and you know, this is me. I've been in the police. I know that there are a lot of racist officers, but the actual just out in the openness of it in Stoke was shocking. So to give context, Stoke is the most Brexity city in the UK. Like it's got the most Brexit support and it's quite far right leaning in a lot of its um, politics. One of the mayors posted pictures of him. I think it was Gollywogs and wouldn't take them down. There was all kinds going on in Stoke. So we were up there for the BLM protest outside the mayor's office asking for it to resign. And as we're there, the the far right were literally walking past us, just like brushing up against us. They had all Nazi tattoos. They had the George's flag. And I was just like, I've never been to an event like usually the police, if there's far right presence, will separate both protesters and make sure there's yeah. no chance of an aim altercation. They were literally walking up against the backs of protesters. And I was saying to people, oh, my God, watch your back. People's kids. Were, and I was like, watch your kids. Like there's a group of far right just walking by. Mm. And they were also far right just driving by. And it was like the pavement was level with the roads. And I was just like, this is an accident waiting to happen. And I walked up to this police officer and I said, what are you doing? And he was like, what? I said, they're they're the far right, they're the far right, they're the far right, points to all the far right owls. And he was like, "Um, uh, you're just making assumptions based on how someone looks, aren't you? And I was was just like, I said, no, in all seriousness, there's kids. And I was like, so, and he was like, "Uh, how do you know that the far right? I was like, he's got a Nazi tattoo, he's got a George's And he just sort of laughed me off. Next minute, I saw him waving into one of the cars. And then as these guys with the tattoos left, he high-fived them. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I was like, that's his mate. Like, either that his mates or he knows them. And I just literally stood there with my mouth open. And the girl who I was with, Sarah, who lives in Stoke and runs the BLM, who's a fan, you know, Stoke has got such a small black community. And they are fearless. They literally are living with the far right and they are fearless. And she was just like, what, what are you shocked about? And I was like, oh my, and so that was just normal. And I was like, oh my God, it was just unbelievable. Am I looking at this too simplistically? And I don't feel that I am, but I just say it um, as you're a critical friend, that 
you only have to look at the stats in terms of what you're seven times more likely as a black man to be stopped and searched. You're five times more likely to be tasered as a black person. It's kind of like the stats speak for themselves. We are over-policed and those stats I think are a very good insight into the institutionalized racism that exists within the police. Definitely. And this is the thing. And as you you sort of touched on this earlier, like what more evidence do we need? What more evidence? You know, we've got the stats. We've got the, we know stop and search is being used more on black people. We know that you're more likely to be sitting, to have force used against you, to be tasers, all of those things. We know you're more Mm -hmm. likely to have guns drawn against you. We know there's far right in the police. We know the police are sending racist memes. We know that there's misogyny. We know that the failing people who are murdered, if they're from an LGBT community, if the black, if the women, we've got all the pieces of the puzzle. And every time we put it to them and say, like, we've got evidence, we've got studies, we've got research, we've got personal testimonies, post-witness accounts, they just go, we, we, we just don't understand it. We don't know why the date... And they literally go but we don't know why the data says this. We don't know. And everyone <laughs> Someone standing over a body with a bloody knife going, I just don't know why this is here. Like, I don't know what happened. And everyone's like, it's all right. Go on, just go home. No! Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But are we waiting for them to come out and just say, oh, we admit it, we're racist. <laughs> with a fashion to us and they're not going to say it are they well exactly exactly you know that has been an incredible first episode i'm going to let people behind the, the 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 veil as it were when we spoke initially and that was in doing the prep for this show we agreed that this was going to be a very um quick canter through a, a taster of sorts and we're coming up to an hour now. It was only supposed to be 30 minutes. It just shows you that these are conversations which need to be had. These are conversations which we will continue to have in the coming weeks as we present our regular look at police matters. And I, I suppose, you know what? It's from the point of view that if our conversations spark articles, spark online conversations, spark action then we're doing something right and it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor having this as the podcast to actually taste make as it were in terms of where we go from here let's have some action on top of this talk definitely that wraps up this episode Chantel Lunt you have been incredible and uh we will catch you next time thanks Michael it's been brilliant and um, I feel like we'll have more to talk about next week you give us a new stuff every week more more Timing.